Second uh, Chronicles chapter seven. Second Chronicles chapter seven. Where we will read verses one through ten. Don't usually do that. I don't. Uh, we don't usually have uh, two readings, but uh, this is uh, two uh, accounts of the same event, and they both illuminate each other. I thought it might be helpful for us. 1 Kings chapter 8, uh, verses uh, 62 through 66. Hear the word of God. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered as peace offerings to the Lord 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep. And so the king and all the people of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. The same day, the king consecrated the middle court, middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there, were, there he offered the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat pieces of the peace offerings because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat pieces of the peace offerings. And so Solomon held the feast at that time and all Israel with him, a great assembly, from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Egypt, before the Lord our God seven days. And on the eighth day he sent the people away, and they blessed the king, and went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. Now turning over to... Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, and you'll note that we're reading the uh, two different accounts of the same event. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. And so the king and all the people dedicated the house of, the Lord, of God. The priests stood at their posts, the Levites also with instruments for music to the Lord that, the king, that king David had made for giving thanks to the Lord and for his Steadfast love endures forever. Whenever David offered praises by their ministry, opposite them the priests sounded the trumpets, and all Israel stood. And Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered the burnt offering and the fat of the peace offerings. 
because the bronze altar Solomon had made could not hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat. At that time, Solomon held the feast for seven days and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly for they had kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their houses, to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Eternal God, as we read this account of a celebration and worship of your people around your throne on earth, we are struck by the wonder of your glory and the things that you reveal to your people. And uh, at this time in in uh, Israel's history, you revealed yourself in a marvelous way. Lord, may it be that we would see something of your glory, that you would help us to understand the greatness of what you have done for us in Christ, and the wonder and the greatness of what it is to join in corporate worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you, O oh God, that you have enabled us to understand and to read this word, and we pray that you would give us understanding and wisdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wanted to read both accounts, the, the account of the uh, writer of Chronicles and the account of the writer of Kings. They both give us a same snapshot of one great event in Israel's history. We have here the celebration of two feasts back-to-back, or two dedications. Uh, one is the dedication of the temple that Solomon has just completed, and the other is uh, the normal uh, uh, yearly uh, celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles that Israel was to celebrate in the seventh month. And Solomon had scheduled it in such a way so that the people met in Jerusalem for a whole of two weeks, two periods of seven days. And they celebrate first the feast of the dedication of the temple that Solomon had built, and then second, the feast of tabernacles. And so the people are all uh, around Jerusalem. You can imagine them. They, many of them have set up uh, temporary uh, tents and booths around uh, they're, they're gathered from one end of Jerusalem to another, and there is a huge throng of people gathered in and around Jerusalem and uh, around the temple. Uh, and uh, what has occurred in this great uh, dedication of the temple is, first of all, uh, the uh, actual transfer of the Ark of the Covenant to its final resting place under the wings of the cherubim. And we read of that in chapter 8 of 1 Kings, verses 1 through 22. The priests and the Levites bring 
the ark with great celebration and with music and with uh, sacrifices, many, many sacrifices made as a part of that. The second part of the service was Solomon's great prayer, his long prayer in which he uh, pleads with the Lord that he would have, that God would have mercy upon his people as they pray toward uh, this, his great throne uh, that is, uh, has just been, um, is being consecrated. And Solomon offers a prayer in verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 22 through 53, a prayer of intercession for the people, followed by a prayer of blessing in verses 54 through 61. And so tonight we come to the final uh, uh, part of the revelation that God has given us of this grand ceremony, this, this amazing gathering of the church of God at that time, the visible church of God at that time uh, around the, this uh, beautiful uh, edifice, the temple that uh, God had Solomon built. And so uh, we are told that in, um, uh, when the, uh, uh, there are two appearances, as it were, of the glory of God in the consecration uh, of this uh, t- temple, um, it tells us that Solomon, as he was ending his prayer, uh, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering on the great altar in the courtyard. And the glory of God was shown. And you remember that it was the cloud that came down when the, when the ark had originally been uh, positioned beneath the wings. And so what you have is an initial manifestation of the glory of God uh, after the uh, ark is put in place and the priests uh, have to leave uh, the, that area because they're no longer able to serve because the glory of God is revealed. And then at the end of Solomon's uh, prayer, as he's finishing his prayer, fire comes from heaven and consumes the burnt offering. And it, we're told that the glory of God shone and the people of God uh, responded. So what I'd like for us to see here tonight is something of uh, the greatness and the wonder of what it is when God's people gather for such corporate, such a worship, which must have been a grand gathering at that time, all in one place of God's people gathered around the temple in Jerusalem. And I'd like for us to say that uh, the worship of God is uh, the central It is the central activity of God's people. It is their response to the revelation of the glory of God. And it is, there are several features of this worship that I'd like for us to notice. And so the very first thing is that I'd like for us to notice here is that God's God's people worship him after he manifests himself in glory uh, to his people. Uh, there is a very uh, amazing uh, revelation of the glory of God in the glory cloud that comes down uh, upon the uh, temple at the time that the ark is put in its place, and uh, an amazing revelation of the glory of God after that. And what I want us to see is that all of the church's worship is a response of, the, of God's act of glorifying himself before them. And uh, that is true of the Old Covenant in in the account that we have just read. 
And it is also true that we worship God as he has glorified himself in and through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came in humiliation in his incarnate uh, state. He took upon himself our flesh, first in humiliation. He submitted himself to death, even the death of a cross, and there he bore the sins of his people purchasing them, paying the price for the redemption of his people. And uh, he was buried. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, triumphant over sin and death. And God glorified his son. He gave him glory. And that glory was manifested in the way in which uh, he appeared to his disciples during the 40 days but it is most wondrously seen in the church above. Because in the church above, uh, there was their witness, the coronation after his ascension of King Jesus, where Jesus ascended to heaven and took the throne of, uh, at, the, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And what is our worship? It is first and foremost, just as the people of Israel did in that time, physically gathering about the temple of God that was the physical type of the greater temple, the presence of God in the highest heavens. As the children of Israel there gathered, so does the church of Christ throughout the world on earth gather on the Lord's day to respond to his revelation of glory in his son. He has glorified his son. He has raised him to the highest heights and given him a name that is above every name. And that great event is celebrated by the church. The death, uh, you know, why is it that Christians speak constantly of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ? Because in that, in those, in in, in those events, God has redeemed his people. In those events, everything that has happened to King Jesus is bound and determined that God in his plan will cause to happen to everyone who is united to him by faith. And so the glory that he has is a glory that his people share in. I would like you to notice that throughout the accounts that we have read, the constant reference and refrain is the king along with the people of Israel. The king and the people of Israel uh, offered sacrifices. The king and the people of Israel uh, um, in, in, it took part in this service. And so the king is leading the people. So it is that the Lord Jesus Christ is the great shepherd of his sheep and leads. He is the king. He is the shepherd. He is the one who has uh, suffered for us, borne our sins in his body on the tree. He is the one who has been exalted to the highest heights and has been glorified in the presence of Christ. We have the great privilege, along with uh, Christians in Brazil, along with Christians in Afghanistan, along with Christians in Europe, along with Christians in the United States, everywhere Spread around the world, God's people on the Lord's Day do what the Israelites did here. They assemble around the throne of the Lord. They assemble around 
the throne of King Jesus, and they sing praises to him. It is the greatest act and the highest act that Christians can engage in is to join themselves with other Israelites in the worship of Almighty God. And uh, I hope that that is something that grips your soul. It is something that God has, that God has uh, caused to burn within your heart a desire that he would be glorified. We teach the shorter catechism, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. It is to glorify God is to respond to his glory in a way that is befitting to uh, sinners saved by God's grace. So God has, uh, worship is, is, is first and foremost a, a response to God's glorifying of himself. Secondly, I'd like for us to see that worship is marked by deep, deep humility and reverence and awe. Deep humility, reverence, and awe. You will notice that the uh, writer of Chronicles especially uh, describes the response of the people in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 3. When all the people saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement, and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Do you see here how the response of God's people Uh, corresponds to the revelation of this glory of God. Why? Why do they respond the way they do? Well, Well, notice what they do. They bow their faces to the ground on the pavement. This is a physical, a bodily uh, act where their faces, uh, uh, where where they fall on their faces before God. They are conscious of God's great holiness. They are conscious of the fact that they themselves are sinners. And their realization of this causes them to fall to the ground. It is the reaction that we see throughout the scripture. Every time anyone is confronted in a direct and personal way with the holiness of God. Of course, you remember Isaiah that he saw the king, he saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Any time a person who is a sinner is in the presence of a holy God, there is this sense of woe and dread. Peter, the apostle Peter, uh, showed this same sense when he was on the Sea of Galilee. Remember that Jesus finished teaching from Peter's boat, and Jesus told him to put out his nets and fish, and against a little bit of a protest, um, Peter did. 
what the Lord told him to do. And he put his nets down into the water, and his nets became so full with fish that they were breaking. Simon Peter was aware that he was in the presence of God incarnate. And he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Have you come to the place where you have ever, have you ever been conscious in a very deep and personal way that you yourself are in the presence of a holy God? What is the response that we should have? We should, like all those who are recorded in scripture so in, in that position, respond with deep, deep humility, reverence, and awe. And the worship of God's people needs to be marked by that reverence and awe. It is uh, a realization that we are sinners and that we have no right to be in the presence of a holy God. We'll come back to that in a minute. But the third thing I'd like for us to see is that the worship of God is always on the basis of sacrifice. And if there's one thing that this passage highlights more than anything else, it is the number of the sacrifices that were given. And the very first is, that is mentioned is the one that is consumed by fire. That sacrifice is consumed by fire. And I like to think that here is a demonstration of that, uh, of that, uh, uh, of God's holiness, as it were, consuming this animal who is a representative of the sin of his people. And the holy God consumes that with fire. And the animal, as it were, is the substitute for his people. And then there's uh, further sacrifices that are given in this account that are sacrifices that are not burnt offerings or sin offerings, but they're peace offerings or fellowship offerings. And most of the offerings given in this week of the celebration of the dedication of the temple are peace offerings. And those are marked by the fact that part of the, of the animal is burned on the altar, but the majority of it is, uh, is saved and is kept as food and is shared among the people. And so this uh, sacrifices, the sacrifices that, that were made on that day, uh, there is one that is consumed, and there are other sacrifices that are, uh, are uh, sacrifices uh, meant to convey the fellowship that God now has with a redeemed people, having been having sins atoned for, having been justified by faith, having been now on the basis of this animal being the representative bearer of sin, then uh, God's people are now offering uh, peace and fellowship offerings of praise to God that is for his redeeming them, for, for uh, uh, setting them free from the consequence of their sin, setting them free from sin and death. And so how wonderful it is for us to realize that all of these things are types and foreshadowings 
of the one who will come, who is the, the Lamb of God, who on the cross gave a sacrifice that satisfied the justice of God in, in a real and true sense. No animal could do that in reality, and no animal could do that, but God had purposed from before the foundation of the world that he would send his son, and that, his, that God himself incarnate would bear the sins of his people, and as it were, God's wrath would consume that sacrifice, and we would be set free from the consequence of sin, death. What a wonderful thing to know that God has provided himself a sacrifice for sin. The author of Hebrews says, he has appeared once and for all, that is, Jesus, at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so all, all worship, all worship is based upon sacrifice. But if it is true that uh, there is a sacrifice that is a redeeming sacrifice. The follow-up to that is a sacrifice that the people bring, which is a fellowship or a peace offering. And you can imagine the Israelites that are all uh, living around Jerusalem at this time, one by one, uh, bringing their uh, animals to be sacrificed uh, and uh, over 140,000 during that week, we're told, uh, were sacrificed by the people. But what a beautiful image of God's accepting his people, fellowshipping with them. And if it is true that Christ has borne our sins for us, what a wonderful thing it is for us to remember that even now the church enters into communion and fellowship with God through his word, and through the Lord's Supper. When we come and we receive the Lord's Supper, what are we doing? We're drawing near to God in a feast of thanksgiving, in a feast that he has provided of himself. He has given himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And having done that, we do not need to be afraid. Like Joseph's brothers, remember how afraid they were when they realized who Joseph was, we do not need to be afraid in the presence of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves us, and he invites us to worship him by sacrifice, by his own sacrifice for us. And we enter into his presence on the basis of that. And if there's anything that's emphasized in this passage, it is that because of the emphasis on sacrifice and so we thank the Lord for his grace and his goodness to us in inviting us into fellowship with himself. Fourthly, I'd like for us to see that uh, this uh, worship service is marked by songs of praise. Uh, one of the beautiful things about reading the chronicler's account is to see how uh, the priest, uh, uh, the author of the book of, uh, of Chronicles, highlights things that the writer of Kings does not because they had different concerns and different, bird, different reasons for writing what they wrote. But the author of Chronicles really brings out the ministry of the Levites and the priests of music in the assembly. During this whole time in which the temple is being dedicated, the Levites that had been trained to sing the praises of God 
are offering a sacrifice of praise in music at, uh, during this, this worship. And so we see that they are giving thanks to God. What a wonderful thing to realize that it is the, it is the mark or the characteristic of God's people that they love to sing the praise of God. Wherever you are involved in a worship service, we sing. And we ought to sing with great uh, love to the Lord and with great sincerity, not mouthing things that uh, we're not thinking about, but truly from our hearts offering praise to God who has done such wondrous things for us and enabled us to draw near to him They sang with instruments, and they gave thanks to God. Under the Old Covenant, it was inspired music. God, by the Holy Spirit, inspired David and others to write psalms, and they sang that music in those psalms. Under the New Covenant, not only only those who are uh, priests, as in the Old Covenant, but in the New Covenant, all believers are priests. And what we're called to do is to praise God, continually in our hearts and uh, to offer to God that which uh, is pleasing to him. The, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul writes that we are to, um, that God desires that we give thanks to him, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. That's, that's what we do when we worship God. God's worship is always accompanied with music. It is, a, it is expressed in song. And I would say, uh, based on this passage, that it, that it is a wonderful thing, and it ought to be the case, that that which we express in song has, uh, is derived from Scripture itself, or the truths that Scripture teaches. And so we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. It is marked by uh, the, the use of music and song. And then, uh, fifthly, I'd like for us to notice about this uh, worship service is that it, it is a, um, a service of all of Israel. I just think it's good to underline the fact that the author says that a great assembly, First uh, Kings chapter 8, verse 65, a great assembly from Lebel Hemoth to the brook of Egypt, they were united in rejoicing and singing blessing to God. Now, that little geographical note is, is helpful. Why? Because one is on one end and the other is the other on the other end. From north to the, to the remotest south, what, what the author of Kings and Chronicles is saying is that all of Israel participated in this great event. And it's, while it's somewhat difficult to imagine how that, that took place, a part of it was by a representation. But uh, God's people were all uh, well gathered. It was a, a whole assembly of Israel. Why do I want to underline that? Well, I want to underline that for this reason. Is that uh, the same thing is true under the new covenant as was, is true then. Um, God's people... Uh, we, don't, we don't gather around a f- in, in a physical city, around a, f- a physical temple, do we? But we gather before the heavenly throne and the heavenly temple where Jesus Christ is right now. 
And uh, all, every single one of God's children worship, gather and worship throughout the world at this one place. In this one place. Where do we look? For the Israelites, it was to Jerusalem and to the physical temple. For us, it is to the highest heavens where Jesus Christ sits enthroned. Where do we look? Where do we gather? What do we see by faith? We see Christ risen and glorified. We enter into his presence. And uh, all of God's people do that. All of God's people spread from heaven to earth. The church triumphant, the church militant. From one end of the globe to the other, we are all engaged in the worship of Almighty God. And while it may be that there are small numbers at any one assembly, it is a great, nevertheless, a great gathering, all the same, if you understand it from the standpoint of heaven's perspective. It is a united, it is a united worship of God. God's people are not divided. God's people are not, in the truest sense, uh, multiple churches. We are one church. We are one church, and we unite together in the worship of God. And then the last thing I'd like for us to notice about this uh, great assembly of worship is how the people uh, felt when they left. It says at the uh, end of 1 Kings chapter 8, On the eighth day, the he sent the people away, and they blessed the king, and they went to their homes joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David his servant and to Israel his people. And again, just I want, to, I want you to make that mental note, to David his servant and um, and to Israel, his people, Christ and his people, we, we are one. Christ and his people, to David and his servant. But notice what it says. They were glad of heart and filled with joy because of all of the good things, all of the goodness of the Lord that he has shown to us. What, what is that goodness? It's described to us again and again. The Apostle Paul Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he goes on to enumerate the many, many blessings that God has given to us. We are justified, declared righteous in his sight because of the blood of Christ, which has paid the penalty for, for our sins, and his righteousness, which is imputed to us by faith. We are sanctified, made holy in his presence, so that the Holy Spirit himself takes residence in us who are still uh, 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 attached to sinful. Uh, we are still sinful beings, and yet the Holy Spirit sanctifies us and dwells in us. We are adopted. We are brought into God's family. All of the blessings that God has bestowed upon us, blessing upon blessing upon blessing, Think of the great hope that is ours and the future that lies ahead. How Christ has risen guarantees the fact that we also, if, we, if he does not, if we are, if he doesn't come before we pass into glory, we will also rise with Christ and we will meet him in the air. 
and as was described uh, this morning so beautifully, the future of a world without evil, without sin, without all that corrupts the world that we live in now, all the remainings and all of the tears, all of the sorrows, a world in which none of that exists any longer. All of the good things, all of the goodness of God that he's bestowed upon his people, it is a great place to be. It is a great place to be in the presence of God, reconciled to him through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone for our salvation, and knowing God, drawing near to him in fellowship, in our daily lives, walking with him, and assembling with God's people as we have opportunity. May it be that you know this kind of worship and joy and gladness. Let us pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all of the good things that you have done for us who are lost and undone in our own sin, in our own selves. Uh, We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death on the cross for our sins. We thank you for his resurrection and his ascended glory and what hope fills our hearts and what joy uh, resides within us as we consider your kindness and your goodness to us. We ask that we might go this week with these things in mind and that we would meditate upon them and that you would uh, fill us with joy. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.